What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We are three big fans of duct tape with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and geez, I would have gone into an anaphylactic shock if I was in Catwoman's apartment. I'm Keith Baker, and I suck at riddles. And I'm Austin Terry, and I need a sturdy pair of boots just like Batman's. On today's show, we are, of course, discussing the newest iteration of Batman, this time from director Matt Reeves and lead actor Robert Pattinson. But before we get into that, I want to know, what are your guys' villain themes, do you think? Or your just kind of general persona, if you were going to have to masquerade in Gotham City? Every person in this version of Gotham has to be in a rain poncho at all times, so I would just be cutting holes in it so they're always getting soaked. Oh, you devil. That's funny you say that, Austin, because... I was going to be following in our great friend Joe Pesci's footsteps from mm. Home Alone, yeah. the wet bandits, and possibly leave every sink on in Gotham. Keith, what would your, if you're going to be a wet bandit, what do you think your name, like your group's name would be? Because you can't copy the wet bandits. That's trademark. Uh, that's true. The soaker, the super soakers. Oh, that's Incredible. Good. Incredible. That's good. That'd be whole man. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the human hole. <laughs> so... I can't, I can't stick with the water theme on this, but I can luckily stick with just a general liquid theme. So, guys, we see all these Batman movies, including The Batman, and we see all of these just corrupt individuals hanging out in these seedy places and not a care in the world. There's nobody going after them. And you know what? I'm going to go after them as kind of a villain sometimes, but maybe an anti-hero at other times. I'm going to be making my way in. I'm going to be the bartender at these seedy places they're in. And I am going to do quite possibly the most villainous thing I've ever heard of. I'm going to spit in every one of their drinks. Diabolical. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, I am indeed going to be called the spit doctor. And even though I'm kind of doing a pretty harmless thing, I will be going to the hospital like every week because Batman just beats the shit out of me. Sounds like something Vigilante would be thrilled about from Peacemaker. He'd be all on board with the Spit Doctor. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he and I actually work together quite frequently. And with that, let's go ahead and get into our main topic of the episode. It's been quite a journey to get to the Batman. Originally, way back in 2013, Ben Affleck signed on to write, direct, and star in an adaptation following his version of the character. After years of supposedly not feeling the story was where he wanted it to be, Mixed to negative reactions to previous DCEU films and personal life issues, he ended up stepping down from writing and directing in favor of the helmer of the two recent Planet of the Apes movies, Matt Reeves. After uncertainty around if Affleck would still star, it was revealed that Reeves was choosing to remove the DCEU connections and focus on a younger Batman. In particular, Reeves wanted to create a new version that would include elements of Batman Year One, The Long Halloween, Ego, Earth One, and Zero Year. After years away from the spotlight, focusing on highly successful and sought-out indie fare, Robert Pattinson joined as a reclusive rock star version of Bruce Wayne and a more angry Batman. And thus, the stage has been set for what seems to be a new trilogy, with Batman in his second year of fighting crime until he comes into contact with a new serial killer calling himself the Riddler. So, it's been good revisiting the Batman films in the last few weeks with you guys. That was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed that. And for those of you that don't know, last week's episode was actually a big retrospective and review on essentially just the past live action and animated versions of Batman. But with that, let's not waste any more time. Austin and Keith, give me your non-spoiler thoughts on the Batman. Yeah, um, I've always been a little skeptical of the Pattinson casting. I wasn't sure if I was going to like his interpretation of Bruce Wayne or this kind of emo Batman. And I got to say, I'm, I'm teetering on the fact that he may be my favorite live action Batman. I absolutely enjoyed this movie from start to finish. Um, it's a really cool interpretation of Gotham as, as this like atmospherically dirty city. They show you the crime. You see the corruption. Batman is way more involved in being a detective. You actually see that play out on screen. I think the Riddler is a super creepy, just dark interpretation of the character. And I absolutely love that. Um, everything we got from Catwoman, she's uh, easily my favorite Catwoman we've ever had on screen. I think every little touch and things they did differently from all the other live action interpretations is what I loved about this movie. And I am so excited about the world Matt Reeves is building. And I just cannot wait to see more from this cast and crew. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like Austin where I was, I was skepti- skeptical of Robert Pattinson coming into it. I was more more skeptical of his physical persona, I guess. I was worried he wasn't going to be able to, like, to beef up and, and look the part of Batman and, and able to fill out the suit because he's just known as this skinny guy from Twilight and Harry Potter. Um, so the physical part I was skeptical about, but the acting part, I, I think he was, I was excited for him to see him as Bruce Wayne. 
And I'm with you, Austin. I think he might actually go down as one of the best live-action Batmans. I think, or, or has potential to if they continue this series, which I think they and are. I, and let me jump in here really, Keith, yeah. really quickly, Keith, because I he may be my favorite live-action Batman, but I'm still not sure if I like his Bruce Wayne yet. So I'm excited to talk about that too. Yeah, we'll get into that for sure. Um, and then going into the the rest of the movie, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it all the way through. I think my only my only critique and downside to it, which we'll get into later, was the runtime. I think towards the end, I started kind of. It started trailing off for me a little bit. I was ready for things to wrap up and it kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, but as far as the cast and crew, everybody played good parts. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm look, just looking forward to seeing uh, the next ones coming up. So, yeah, this is an interesting one for me. This was definitely, I guess I should say, is my most anticipated movie of 2022. I thought it was coming in 2021. I think the first trailer came out in 2020 until it got delayed. So, feels just like such a long time coming. We've known about this project for so long, and it just kind of felt a little bit surreal sitting down in that theater, finally getting to watch it. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I think initially when I walked out, I was kind of teetering on, is it good or is it great? But after sleeping on it and just thinking about it some more, I definitely think it's a really, really good movie for sure. Really good. I actually would call it a great movie, but for sure, some issues I wasn't expecting it to have. Um, by definitely by no means a perfect movie. And it doesn't have to be. I don't think, you know, the past versions are perfect either. Robert Pattinson, I echo your guys' thoughts, thought he was great. A little bit surprised on perhaps without spoiling anything, the lack of Bruce Wayne, not as much of that as I thought there would be. And then kind of just to jump in where you guys said, I definitely agree with Austin that I think the best thing about this movie is the things it chose to do different from past adaptations that felt so fresh and new. And a lot of that ties into the story, the villain, and in particular just kind of the style of Batman they're focusing on, um, kind of in the way he moves in action, but at the same time, he's also a detective trying to solve crime. So I really love seeing that. I think my downsides are, the obvious one is that the runtime, I think it's paced relatively well, but I still just, despite not feeling like it was that long, I just don't know why it was three hours. I mean, there was just some very obvious things I thought they could have cut out. So that stood out to me. And then my big thing that I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on like Austin said, I really like the things they chose to do different, but the things that they chose that felt kind of similar to past adaptations, I thought were a bit hollow. So kind of just in general, where the movie felt like it was trying to pack an emotional punch, if you want to call it that, like several moments where we're clearly supposed to feel something, I really didn't. Um, I just don't think they were set up too well, as opposed to like stuff in the Dark Knight with like Rachel Dawes's death and kind of the transformation into Two-Face. That stuff always really hit me. And I didn't have any moments like this in this movie, but I think after thinking about it, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. Do they do they nail every single thing that they've done differently? Uh, probably not. But a lot of the creative choices they made with this character and the things they chose to spend time on in the movie were all really interesting to me. I think this is a really, really comparable movie to Batman Begins, where they did a great job of setting up this Gotham, setting up this Batman, just like Scarecrow and the League of Shadows was a great way to start out that version of Batman. I thought pairing this detective Batman with a serial killer case in the Riddler was a perfect way to interest, introduce us to Battinson, as he's being called in the, in the media today. And I don't think it's too spoiling to say, like, this is probably one of the best like, first 30 minutes of a super, superhero movie I've ever seen. Mm -hmm, I was just, for sure. I was captivated from the get-go. I love the way they use the side villains in this movie as a way to fill out the world. Like, the villains are the world-building blocks of this version of Gotham. And that's an interpretation I don't think we've seen done as well before. And that's something that really stood out to me in this viewing. Yeah, really the only time it's been done, but not in the same way as they introduce Killian Murphy as the Scarecrow in Batman Begins. But he was like, you know, the main villain, or you could say, you know, Ra's al Ghul was. But then they just kind of peppered him into the two sequels. This kind of feels like the opposite, where it's like, it's not like Carmine Falcone or Penguin are the main villains. But you're right, they kind of use them to set up the the criminal underworld of Gotham, which we're clearly going to see more of in the future. So yeah, really cool way to handle those villains without ever giving them like, I think, too much screen time. I think we're all chomping at the bit to get in the spoilers here because it's, it's hard to not spoil this movie. So should we should we roll that segue music? Yeah, so there you go. If you have not seen The Batman, this is your final warning. It sounds like all three of us would easily recommend it. Definitely really enjoyed it. So go check it out and then come on back for all of our spoiler thoughts. I think this is going to be a pretty interesting conversation. So here we are, everybody. Welcome to spoiler territory. As always, just to get us started here, Austin and Keith, hit me with that cast and crew. 
All right. So the Batman is, of course, directed by Matt Reeves, who you may know from Cloverfield or his Planet of the Eights franchise. Um, it's also written by Matt Reeves and Peter Craig. Our score is composed by Michael Giacano, who most frequently works with Pixar. And you may also know him from composing J.J. Abrams' Star Trek trilogy. And, of course, based on the Batman created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. All right. Going into our cast, we have Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne the Batman. Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle, Catwoman. Paul Dano as Edward Nashton, the Riddler. Jeffrey Wright as Jim Gordon, John Turturro as Carmon Falcone, Annie Serkis as Alfred, Peter Sarsgaard as the DA, Gil Coulson, and we got Colin Farrell coming in as Oz Cobblepot, the Penguin, and Barry Keegan as an uncredited Joker appearance. All right, guys, there's the cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives, what you got? I definitely have to give a shout out to Michael Giacano's score. Um, this one is on par with the Dark Knight theme from Hans Zimmer for me. It's stuck in my head. It keeps playing over and over. It stands out to me throughout the movie. Um, I think the score really added to the atmosphere they were going for with Gotham, and I absolutely love that. Yeah, I actually think the score, this is, I think, I don't know. For me, this is by far the best Batman score we've ever gotten. I even liked the lesser used pieces. Like, it seemed like Batman and Catwoman. I wouldn't call it like a love theme, but they definitely have a, they had like a more of like a lighter piece that kind of played while they were together, which was really good. But yeah. That main Batman theme was absolutely incredible. And while I enjoy the Hans Zimmer, you know, pieces from The Dark Knight and just that trilogy in general, I think this movie utilized what it had better. It wasn't always just the same notes over and over again like Hans Zimmer did. This was like, while yeah, it was the same theme, there was kind of, it didn't always sound exactly the same. Like one standout moment for me was like, right when he's in the Batmobile for the first time and it just plays it really quick, yeah, but then it that. cuts it off whenever his thrusters go oh, on. Oh yeah. And it was, gosh, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, as for performance, I'll shout out Jeffrey Wright as Mr. Jim Gordon. Uh, I think this is the most screen time Gordon's ever gotten in a Batman movie and probably everything we got from him. I thoroughly enjoyed. I like that. We actually see him doing police work, which we weirdly haven't gotten from the Jim Gordon character in the past. Um, I like his relationship with Batman and I like how they establish like his police force is so corrupt that the only person he trusts is Batman. And so they really rely on each other. And I like that they have their established like history and relationship already done for this film. Oh, uh, I guess I'll just shout out Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne. I mean, I think he, Definitely brought that more dark, gothic uh, feel to it. Um, and I'm with you, though, Austin, what you said earlier. I wish we could have gotten more Bruce Wayne. We really didn't get that much of him as far as his conversations with Alfred that we get in all the other Batman movies. Um, but as far as the Batman, though, I mean, like I said, the first 30 minutes of this movie, he was scared the shit out of me when I was watching this. Like, he was scary when he first came out. And as far as the action goes, which we'll get into later, I mean, just watching him beat the shit out of people was definitely believable. Um, and then his voice, I think he nailed his, he has his, brought his own flair to it. And um, I like it. Yeah. His voice was like, to me, the better version of like almost the combination between whisper and gruffness that Christian Bale had in Batman Begins. Pattinson was able to keep up that voice the entire time and he used it constantly. And I thought it always sounded really good. I really like how calm and collected his Batman is when he's not fighting. Like his fighting feels very, it's just like he's letting loose in a sense. But then whenever he's interacting with other characters, he's very calm and, and does not really get flustered easily, which I really appreciated. Man, this is tough. Um, ah, everybody's great. So it gravitates, obviously, Paul Dano. I know he's not in the movie a whole lot, but I just thought it was such a great interpretation and he was so good in it. I got to call out Colin Farrell as Penguin. This is the kind of penguin I want to see. I have fun with stuff like Danny DeVito and Batman Returns. I get what they were going for there. But I like seeing Penguin as kind of a man with a plan that can't always, I don't know, he doesn't always have the respect that he feels like he should. That's what I liked about this yeah. version. Yeah, he's always scheming. Um, and then I also want to call out, I should have wrote him down here, but Greg Frazier was the cinematographer. It looks like he has worked with Matt Reeves before. He worked on Dune. Yeah, you he can did definitely Dune, see that in this. Zero Dark Thirty and Rogue One. And I thought the cinematography wasn't always perfect. There was some goofy scenes like during the flight suit sequence whenever Batman jumps off and it's like just he's like flying through the air, but like it's a close up of his face. That was kind of goofy. But overall, just the way the city looks, the lighting and just the shots they chose, I thought 95% of the time were some of the best we've ever gotten. All right, guys, good stuff. So now it is time. Let's get into our roundtable discussion. We each brought two larger points to the table, stuff that maybe positively or just negatively stood out to us that we wanted to get into more detail on. So guys, who wants to start us off this time? 
Yeah, let's get into kind of our introduction to this Gotham and this already established Batman. The film starts on Halloween night, which I thought was a great choice to just introduce us to just how different Gotham is from any other city you kind of see in a movie. Um, it's a very rainy city, which they set up, which kind of also adds to that atmospheric kind of grunginess that we're always told about Gotham. Like I said earlier, that beginning scene with the, uh, I don't know what you call them, the kids with the painted faces, kind of, kind of Joker looking like uh, kids that were messing with the, uh, the guy from the train. And then he steps in and with his combat boots and comes in. What do you guys think about that? I like that they kept teasing, like they show you all these dark alleyways and Batman's not there. It's like, when, when is he going to get involved? And like, he doesn't come on screen for probably maybe, maybe the 15 minute mark in the movie. Like they spend a lot of time just showing you parts of Gotham and what's going on. And that's what I really liked with that opening. Yeah, I think this might be the greatest comic book movie opening we've ever gotten. I thought this was pretty pitch perfect. And I like that they kind of almost took like a, I don't know, like a Rorschach's journal element from Watchmen, who he's always writing about his exploits in a journal and he's narrating it too. So we have Bruce Wayne kind of, because there is no origin here, but it's almost like the introduction he's giving kind of just reminds you, okay, this is Batman. Here's what he's up to. It's his second year of crime fighting. And just watching him not dress as Batman, dress as Bruce Wayne, just kind of prowling the street, seeing what's going on. Nobody really pays attention to him. And yeah, like you guys said, at one point he mentioned his he mentions in his narration that there's only one of him, so he can't be everywhere at once. The bat symbol in this world is, I think the line is, it's not just a call for him to come and help, but it's also a warning. And watching this guy rob a convenience store in a goofy mask, run outside, he looks up and sees the bat symbol. And even though you can't see his eyes, it's like the most terrified he's ever been. And like you said, he turns around and looks at the shadows and he thinks he's afraid that Batman is in there. And maybe tonight he will be, but maybe next time he won't be. And so cool watching the helicopters, like you said, go over and spotlight those guys like doing graffiti on the bank and stuff. And it's like, oh, is Batman around the corner? And then, like you said, it was like third time's the charm whenever he finally does show up to help the guy that's being beat up on the subway. And just the element is like, he will go where he's needed. Like he'll go like when he's close by and when he can help. But he talks about how he feels like he's done a good enough job so far of like building up that fear. So even if he can't get to somebody that night that maybe robbed a convenience store, they're still going to like run home more afraid than they ever have been. And maybe that means, I don't know, maybe they'll stop doing that kind of thing. And that beatdown he gives from the first trailer is still just, I mean, what an introduction <laughs> to the Batman. <laughs> but let's get into the actual story itself, which is, of course, the detective story essentially following Batman in at times Gordon and Catwoman, tracking the Riddler's clues in order to stop him from continuing to kill Gotham's elite. So what do you guys think of just I don't know what you would call just the story itself in general. Were there any standout moments that just came from that aspect? Yeah, the one with, uh, I guess his name was Mitchell. Remember Mitchell gets killed? Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool to get that from the Riddler. We don't, because, you know, Austin, your favorite Riddler, Jim Carrey, we didn't really get anything like that where he was actually, where you're actually scared of him. We didn't get anything good from Jim Carrey in that movie <laughs> yeah. either. He was too busy hugging uh, Tommy Lee Jones. So, I mean, I think they definitely did a good job of establishing that, that serial psycho killer uh, vibe with this guy. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the story. I think, yes, at times it's kind of a simple detective cat and mouse game, but it worked well enough for me. Again, it kind of ties into maybe the movie's just too long. So a lot of that stuff was kind of stretched out. And there were some goofy moments with like how they solved the riddles, which reminded me of like the worst parts of Batman Forever, which is like, this isn't, wait, what? How are they solving this? They're just like, they're basically, they get to a point where they just go, oh, I solved it. And you, the audience are like, oh, how? So there are, there are weird elements to that. And there, of course, are also elements where you, the audience are somehow ahead of Batman and Gordon at times. Like, guys, <laughs> come on. What are, you, what are you doing? A rat with wings. Oh, it's a pigeon. Well, no, Bruce, it might be a Batman. It might be a bat, Bruce. Yeah, we were laughing last night because there's literally two different times in the movie. There's a part where uh, Bruce is like, yeah, a rat with wings. And one of the riddles, it's a, a, obviously a, a, steel, a stool pigeon. And we, the audience, are like, what the fuck is that? And then, <laughs> and then like 30 minutes later, Gordon's like, wait, penguins have wings. And then Batman's reaction is literally, oh, shit, I didn't think of that. <laughs> and it happens again where it's like, wait. Falcons have wings. Falcone. Falcon. Falcone. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so there are goofy moments like that. But this movie has some amazingly high highs. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but maybe my favorite scene in the movie was the aftermath of the funeral scene. Watching Gil Coulson just kind of waiting to hopefully get this bomb removed. And then 
I didn't expect Batman to actually come in in that scene. Watching him just walk in, we're going to try and save his life. And then, of course, that's when the Riddler pops up on a phone. He has duct tape to his hand. And then it's just classic animated series, classic comic Riddler, even in like the more goofy Riddlers where it's like, okay, Batman, riddle me this. Solve three riddles and I'll like, and then what you want to happen will happen, basically. That's just classic Riddler. And in this case- Even his contraption felt like a design from the Arkham games. Very saw. Yeah, I had like a saw aspect. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) And the first two riddles are just really fun where it's like he throws out the riddle and Batman immediately just knows the answer because that's Batman for you. And then the third one comes and it's kind of a riddle, but it's not one that Batman can help him with because the third one is just basically Coulson with 30 seconds to go has to expose the rat that um, is basically, you know, feeding information and kind of funneling the story and all that good stuff. And just the element of that where Batman is pushing, like, what's, who's the rat? Like, we'll protect you. And he's like, I can't do it because I'm going to die either way. I'm going to die right now if I don't say it. If I do say who the rat is, then they're going to kill me and my family. So in 30 seconds, he just accepts dying and it culminates with just him exploding and Batman flying back. And I was like, that was such a good scene, I thought. I really like as a result of the Riddler's plan, because the Riddler's plan is, I want to expose all this corruption in Gotham. And because crime families and the police department are so intrinsically tied in this universe, the story then forces Batman to kind of go through this odyssey through all these organizations. And you go through the Iceberg Lounge, and you go to the Falcone, you go to the Mob, you go to Penguin. We have all these side villains in addition to our main villain being the Riddler, but they don't just feel like, hey, the Penguin's here. Isn't that really cool for all you Batman fans? They feel very important to the story. And makes the world and the crime universe feel so much more lived in than we've gotten in the past movies. How do you guys feel about the way Batman and Gordon interact in this movie? They're, they're more partners than what we've seen from live action. Like, he's kind of Batman's right-hand man in this movie. Yeah, I like that there was... They could have easily, in a three-hour movie, with, with all this corruption going on, they could have planted doubt, like, at moments, like, Batman doesn't trust Gordon, but that never happens. There's even a moment where, like, Batman's like, Riddler's targeting all the people involved in the Maroney case. And then Gordon's like scared. He's like, I worked that case. And he's like, he's not targeting you. And he's like, why? He's like, because you're not corrupt. So like, there's never a moment where they doubt each other, which was really cool. And vice versa, like you said, Gordon never really, I mean, at times I think Gordon's kind of, I don't know, maybe surprised, like near the end, he's surprised about like the brutality, like of that beatdown that Batman gives. But again, I mean, there's never any fallout from it, at least in this first movie. So they kind of, you know, let each other do their thing. Obviously, the other partner that we mentioned at the beginning here is uh, Catwoman, who, uh, yeah, I didn't know what to expect. Obviously, they've done Catwoman before where she's just a straight up villain. They've done it where she's just straight up, you know, partners with Batman. And then they've also, I don't know, maybe more of the most recurring version is like, you know, maybe it seems like Catwoman's working with Batman, but then maybe she betrays him or like she does something for her own gain. And then it's like, ah, damn it, she got away again. So... I, I gotta say, yeah, maybe it wasn't as interesting, but I like the Catwoman and Batman for the most part, with a few exceptions, were on the same page, and they never really betrayed each other. They were trying to actually help each other, and I like that there wasn't like an ending bullshit moment where it's like, I gotcha. Like, <laughs> oh, here's a twist. Like, we, I, was, I betrayed you or something, so I really like them together. I thought they had good chemistry just like when they were talking, and I liked the hints at the romance. It worked well enough for me. I also liked that Catwoman and Batman have different priorities in this movie, and and they don't ever kind of get to a point where their priorities align. Like, Catwoman is very clear that she's, one, looking out for kind of the marginalized groups of Gotham and herself and her, like, inner circle. That's the only thing, the only reason she's involved is she wants to find her friend Anika. I like that with her priorities, she was using that to push Batman to look further than just, like, the big crime heads. She's, like, telling him, you got to look at the other parts of the city, too. And and I think... I think his conversation with Catwoman influenced at the end when he realizes I need to inspire hope, not just fear. Take care of the smaller man, too. I like that. Yeah. How often do we see that? Because I'm sure we've read it or seen it somewhere else, but not ex- as explicitly or I thought well told. But yeah, I don't know how often we see like characters confront Batman. I don't know, because obviously people don't know his identity, but he is Bruce Wayne. He's whether he wants to be. He is elite. He grew up in incredible wealth. He, now he's a billionaire. But in this movie specifically, what I liked was he just, there are some things he can be the world's greatest detective that he just does not know or doesn't understand. And Catwoman, even though she doesn't know he's Bruce Wayne, is like, you clearly grew up rich because the way you're talking and the way that you want to go after these people and the certain people that you think are involved, like you just can't really comprehend the way I see things. And then even like you mentioned, Dawson, there's a smaller moment of that, which is 
Batman kind of always looked at Riddler's quote unquote weapon as just a killing weapon. Like he just thought that was the tool he used to kill. But then Martinez is like, oh no, that's actually this thing. It's it's a carpenter's tool. And if Martinez wasn't there, he wouldn't have been able to actually kind of uplifted the floor in a certain spot and found Riddler's plan. So I like this movie kind of, you know, challenged him a little bit. He can be the smartest guy in the room, but because of his upbringing, there are going to be things that he's going to miss. So we've touched on how Batman has a lot more screen time in this movie than Bruce Wayne does. Um, and they really don't play with the typical conflict of, is Batman the mask or is Bruce Wayne the mask? We don't really have that like inner um, inner struggle for Batman in this movie. He's, he feels very in line with the fact that he just wants to be Batman. He wants nothing to do with the Bruce Wayne stuff. How'd that feel for you? Because it's a bit different than what we've seen in the past. We didn't get, we don't get like the playboy Bruce Wayne with this guy. He's dark. He's kind of depressed. Very reclusive, just seems overall disturbed. Are you guys hoping that he that he continues that that kind of personality? Or are you hoping that he we do get some more not I wanna say I don't want to say like party animal Bruce Wayne, but at least like an alter Bruce Wayne where it does it does seem like, oh, how could this guy be uh, a vigilante a night vigilante? Well, I I am wanting to see more of because in the beginning of the movie, Alfred states like uh, pretty soon you're going to have nothing. So I can't, and they never really go back to that. So I want to know kind of what the states of his finances are and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I foresee the path being that of Batman Returns. I think we're going to be looking at a similar because I don't think they can flip a switch. I don't think this guy can automatically go like trim his hair, like look prim and proper and all of a sudden be like the Playboy Bachelor that Christian Bale was or something like that. So I think it's going to be more of a socially awkward, sometimes inept uh, billionaire that kind of works. And maybe he plays into that a little bit because I think he can. But to bring up Batman Returns specifically because we talked about how he liked that Bruce Wayne was actually kind of making use of his status and going around and talking to people like Max Shrek and trying to make deals or in that case, shut down a project that he knows will be detrimental to Gotham. So now that he's switched from vengeance to hope, I think in his Bruce Wayne persona, he's going to go around and you know, by night, he does what he can to stop crime to make things better. But by day, I think he's going to be trying to use his vast wealth to improve things where he can. I think as Bruce Wayne, he's going to work a lot closely with this mayor, too, because they well, we had that closing scene at the end where mm. Batman saves the mayor. That's what I was going to say, Austin. Yeah, I like that scene at the funeral where she's talking to him and says, we need to continue this conversation, but I think you can do you can do more for this city. Yeah, you're not doing enough. Mm. I really like that. Yeah. So let's also get into some of our action and a lot of the gadgets that Batman uses. He has a lot more like, I don't know if he has like techie gadgets in this one, but it's more of like gadgets that are perfect for this version of Gotham, I felt like. Yeah. I mean, I just first of all thought the action in general was really great. We already talked about the initial beatdown in the opening, which we saw all over the trailers where, yeah, I don't know. He's not like doing the whole bail shoulder fighting. He's not doing kind of the goofy looking Keaton and that era of Batman fighting. He actually seems like he can move much better in this costume. I don't know. He's he's just doing different things than we've seen. It's cool to see him in live action. It's nothing like groundbreaking, but just watching him like like disarm a guy, grab a bat, hit him with the bat, turns around. There's a guy about to shoot him and he just all of a sudden flings the bat at the guy's head or like just body to like avoid getting the shot off or something like that. Like there was just way more cool looking martial arts I felt like in this movie than we've ever gotten. So the action always looked cool. One thing we didn't get was Batman stealth. I don't have a great like stealth scene I can take to I can point to. This Batman just likes to walk into a room and start fighting. I would say the first scene, I guess, but I wouldn't really call it stealth. I would just call it more of like a like a like a hidden intro and he just kind of walks out of the dark. I also don't think that this Batman has unintentionally murdered anybody like our past Batman. I think a lot of people will survive their injuries in this movie. Yeah, I have to say, I don't think there's any kills we can call out quite yet. I mean, going back to the action, the punches, though, like I told you guys. They felt good. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you could just feel the weight behind each one of them, um, where maybe someone definitely could have died from the amount of times. (laughs) You punch one guy at least like 20 times in the head. (laughs) And then tying in with the gadgets. Yeah, I agree with you. There's nothing like crazy cool. I mean, even the Batmobile, for Christ's sakes, is just like a cool looking charger that he souped up somehow. Um, But I just love the simplistic and how it looked and just the effectiveness of his this version's grapple gun, which just he basically puts his hand up in the direction he wants, and then the gun just kind of like flips out and forms on his wrist, and then he can immediately shoot it off. And then I don't know, it maybe it was like an almost like a weird add-on to the grapple gun, but this ties into like nobody dying because the second we got to the arena sequence, I was like, oh, here's the moment, here's where uh, <laughs> we call him out for killing people on accident. But every single person, he would like kick people off the rafters. But then it's like he somehow set it up to well, they, whenever they fell, they would get grabbed they by had, a grapple. They clip themselves in. 
whenever they were setting up up there, they oh, were right. they were buckling into the rafters. Which oh, I thought, I was so like, he just knew that because you yeah. could see it. I was like, why are they doing that? But then it was like, okay, well, he's not killing anybody. They're hanging there. Okay, yeah, I missed that. I thought he was somehow grappling them and then catching them later. <laughs> he tased the shit out of somebody too, like right in the oh, neck. Oh, yeah, that guy might be dead. <laughs> <laughs> But I like I like that Batman kind of takes things personally in the beginning of this movie. Like that the guy that he did that to is the guy that shot him point blank. So he just like is like, okay, this is the guy that I'm gonna use my tase charge on. <laughs> All of the tase charge on. <laughs> yeah. The guy that uh hit me with a shotgun blast at close range on the arena, that's the guy that I'm gonna put this weird adrenaline stuff into. I'm gonna pummel him. <laughs> Going into the truth about the Waynes and, and the other guys involved, like Falcone, Maroney, I at times got a little bit lost in that. And I don't know if it's because of the runtime or there was just some lines that I missed where I just I just straight up missed something. Um, but it got a little bit confusing for me at, at sometimes. And boring is kind of a strong word to use, but I just kind of got tired of it. I think for general audiences, having Falcone and Maroney in the same movie and talking about them both all the time, I think that's going to get confusing. Because even me, I was like, oh, wait, we're talking about Falcone now, not Maroni. It was, it was kind of hard to keep the family separate. Yeah, I would say this movie was never boring to me, but incredibly slow. And I think some of these scenes that we're talking about here were uh, a lot of where that came from. Like, I love John Turturro as, you know, this version of Falcone. But just like, you know, there's a lot of standing and talking scenes. You know, like Bruce Wayne comes to talk to him and it's just kind of like maybe a five minute scene where... Carmine just explains everything and you have to believe it or not Bruce kind of has to be like should I believe that or not and then like he goes to Alfred later and then he tells him something different so it's like I guess he was lying I'll go back to him now so there were some scenes that got too dragged out yeah and then of course that kind of also ties into I think it was long Halloween where they kind of teased that it could be the case but then went back on it but the whole like Catwoman being the daughter I thought it was gonna be dumb at first actually ended up kind of liking it I thought it was good for her character but yeah, th- this stuff got way more screen time than I thought. Whenever they first announced John Turturro, I was like, okay, he'll probably just be like a quick little fun appearance. But wow, yeah, he was almost the main villain in some ways. If you think about his relationship with the Riddler, he was, at some point, like he was kind of above him in a strange way. I, I like that because I, like I like how connected all the villains are in this movie. They all work for each other in some fashions. I thought that part was really cool. Uh, the, one, the one thing I didn't really like is they connect everything back to the Waynes in this movie. Um, even the fact that Falcone may have ordered the hit that killed Thomas Wayne. I don't know if I necessarily like that. I always like the idea of the hit being random because it's just like Gotham claimed Thomas Wayne because Gotham is so dirty and then Gotham creates Batman. I don't know if I necessarily like that every little part of this movie ties back to the Waynes. Yeah, I think I'm with you there too. I don't, it, it kind of felt too personalized with Bruce and where, you know, past Batman's, it's always the opposite. I mean, he's selfless. He's, out to help everybody else. It's like when the movie first starts, he went from being this feared vigilante to being this guy that's now motivated by personal family matters more so than saving your your average man, I guess. But then at the end, he redeems himself by saving all the people in the flood. Yeah, so. that's, that's what I like about it. I, I agree that I don't need all of these reasons or like explanations as to who killed the Waynes. Like it can be random. That's fine. Uh, I complained about this when we talked about 89's Batman because the reveal at the end I thought is terrible. Jack Napier, the Joker, killed my family when I was younger and I didn't know it. It's like, what did that do? What did that inform or like change? This one I think is way better because at the very least we get to see an arc of Batman find out that his parents weren't perfect. They kind of they got themselves in a bad situation, paid the price for something they didn't deserve to die for because of Falcone in this case. But at this point, he's already changing. So it's like, sure, well, it, it is a kind of goofy at times that it's like it just implied that Carmine was the one that made it happen, got the kill out there. When we see him by the end where he's accepted, my parents weren't perfect. They, they died and they were the reason I became Batman. I was going to use vengeance as a tool to rid this city of crime and save Gotham. It's almost like because he finds out that, you know, they had flaws and they were human like everybody else, he can now still be Batman, but change his ideals for the better. So at least the movie kind of used like the Carmine killing them for a good reason, as opposed to just like, oh, Jack Napier killed my parents. And it's just like a random twist that they never really do anything with. So I liked where this movie ended because of the twist that Falcone was involved with that. 
Yeah, I was I was a little I was a little worried coming into this one because I knew they were doing Batman Earth One, and and that's the one that kind of sets up that the Waynes may not have been perfect. Mm. Um, that in addition to Court of Owls, I've said this before. I always like the idea of the Waynes being this pristine people that give something Bruce to strive for, but they do a little twist on this one where it's Thomas Wayne loves Martha Wayne so much that her name was getting dragged through the mud, and he wanted to protect her. And I really really like that aspect of it. I'm glad they kind of established that a bit more. And I really like that Alfred is like. Your dad didn't give a shit about Mayer. He cared about Martha, and that's who he was trying to protect. That really worked for me in the movie. Yeah, and while that scene wasn't hitting me, the Alfred scene, because he was, you know, dying, like, that part, it didn't really matter. That, that, like, the dialogue in that scene I thought was great, where he's, like, basically taking... Bruce is just feeding Alfred everything that Carmine just told him, but then he's throwing it back at him, the exact same thing, but giving it actual context. It's like, yes, that is true. Thomas did go to Carmine and ask him to intimidate that reporter. So he would stop saying all these bad things about Martha. But he never knew he would kill him. He didn't want him to kill him. And then actually, whenever he found out that he was killed, he was going to go to the cops to get Carmine arrested or in trouble. And because he did that, that's the night they died. That's what I like. So you still yeah. have the, the Waynes aren't perfect, but they still did strive to do the right thing at the end of the day. That's, I, that, that worked for me mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah. And I also like the whole the other Earthwan connection where. Martha is from the Arkham family, who are the other big kind of long-running family in Gotham, and that she had been dealing with some type of, whether it be mental illness or whatever it was, uh, and she had been institutionalized a few times. And obviously, I like that because like in the Batman Earth One comic, it's never explicitly stated, oh, Martha and the Arkham family had history of mental illness. Maybe that explains why some of the things Bruce is doing, because this is not logical. This is not healthy. And this movie never says, oh, he inherited something. It's never like as explicit as that. But I like that that can be kind of in the back of your head as kind of an interesting reason for his mental state and kind of more helps you understand that character. All right. Well, let's jump back into the Riddler real quick. Um, It did take a little bit for them to reveal Paul Dano's face as the Riddler. And then it took a while for Batman himself to even meet the Riddler in person. Um, so what do you guys think about that? Do you like that the Riddler was kind of in the background this whole time? Or would you rather have had them fight and meet up in more in the middle of the movie? I do wish though that there was a way for Batman and the Riddler to meet in person sooner in the movie and have more on set interactions. Yeah, honestly, that's well, there were some things here and there that bothered me about the movie. That wasn't one of them. I was surprised by it for sure. I was shocked when we were two hours plus into the movie, and that's where we we're getting the scene of Riddler just sitting in the cafe getting taken up by the police. But I think it worked well enough for me. I liked his interactions, like the creepy element of just like him in a screen within a screen, basically, like whether he's on a phone or on a TV or on on the news or leaking information. I thought that stuff was pretty cool. That being said, it would have been cool because after he's revealed as the Riddler, in a weird way, the performance didn't get worse. I just thought the character got worse. Like I thought he was always like, really menacing and scary and interesting to watch uh, with the mask on. And then after that in the jail, it's just, oh, okay, yeah, the Riddler didn't know as much as he let on. He, his motivation was interesting. I thought that he was an orphan and he was part of like this you know, rundown orphanage that wasn't getting funding, which is why he was taking out the elite, including uh, Thomas Wayne, because they like proposed this renewal project and then didn't follow through with that promise that would have helped them. So that's why he's kind of bitter and angry. So I thought that was cool. But yeah, for, for whatever reason, it's like the Riddler's final plan was just to flood the city. And I thought that was interesting, but it, it surprisingly didn't really take up too much time or go anywhere, really. So, yeah, I didn't particularly find the ending of his plan in the third act that great. So that was the standout to me. I, I thought Paul Dana was still good in the movie, but just, yeah, some of the kind of intricacies of the character got a little meh by the end. I think it would have been interesting. This might have been too similar to Dark Knight, but I think it would have been interesting if the diner scene had happened earlier in the movie and then him and Batman were talking in Arkham more. Like as the plan, like maybe he had to go talk to the Riddler a lot more often or just a way for them to just interact more, I think would have been a nice touch to the movie. As for the flooding the city thing, I'm really excited by that because I think in the next movie, there's going to be a lot more of the no man's land story um, in in Batman 2 or whatever it's going to be. And for those that don't know, no man's land is a comic arc where Gotham is rocked by an earthquake. It basically goes into like a post-apocalyptic mode where the different factions of the city are taken over by different crime factions and Batman has to kind of regulate each different part of the city. And I'm excited to see how that's done in the movie. Yeah, apparently um, the original cut of the movie had another scene with uh, Joker, which was kind of like what you said, Austin, just was not the Riddler, was the Joker. They cut a scene where Batman goes to Arkham and he ends up 
I don't, he's not going there with a purpose, I don't think, but he ends up talking to the Joker because he's trying to profile the Riddler. So he's trying to talk to people that he think might be able to help him understand somebody like the Riddler and like their motivations and all that. But they cut that. So, but yeah, it could have been cool if like if it happened earlier and then he could have talked to the Riddler and then oops, by the end, the Riddler like behind bars has still this like crazy big plan going on. So yeah, I don't know. Now, now that I'm kind of talking about it, do you guys overall like the Riddler as a villain or because we had a lot of praise for Penguin and Falcone, like, do you guys think that maybe those characters overshadowed him a bit just in terms of like stuff you liked or found interesting? I think Falcone overshadowed Paul Dano a little bit, mm-hmm. but I think that's just because Falcone has more screen time. Mm-hmm. Paul, Paul Dano is, is just kind of in the movie as like recordings of stuff that yeah. he's done. My favorite thing about my favorite thing about Paul Dano's performance is he'll be talking really softly and then just start screaming. And it could have been goofy, but for me, it really worked. I mean, and then going back to the penguin, well, Colin Farrell's portrayal was penguin-like. I mean, he was—he's a goofy guy, but he—he he is like, a, I guess you can say, he like he, the procurement of of other villains. Like, I feel like Penguin's gonna in in future portrayals. I think that Penguin is gonna recruit uh, even evil, even more evil uh, people than than Falcone or or uh, the Riddler. I think they're really setting up Penguin to play a huge role in the sequel movies. Yeah. Yeah. A team up is another realm of possibility. They've already set up Riddler and Joker now, so maybe Penguin hires both of them. So now maybe like in Batman three, like the final threat is like taking down all these villains or something. I don't know. We're talking a lot about setup here. Were you surprised how much they set up for a future trilogy? That's true. Well, like you, you just mentioned it with the flooding. I mean, how are they gonna repair Gotham? Like what's it gonna look like? It's just, is it gonna look like Houston after Hurricane Harvey? Is it gonna is it gonna be like just completely destroyed and and all that, or is or they're gonna jump in uh, with it already being repaired and things are back to kind of normal? Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot more they could do with the Riddler. Actually, uh, w- one of my favorite scenes, and it's just one of my favorite things about the Riddler, is he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, but he's always he might be one step ahead of Batman, like for the majority of his plan. But then when it comes to like game time, when it comes to getting to the end zone, he's always one step behind. And they did it such a good job in this movie because that scene where. Batman is in like, I think it's like Riddler's apartment or just like his den, basically. And he looks over and sees his his big wall showing off Bruce Wayne. I know the real you. And it's like, and he's like, holy shit. And he tells Gordon, this is maybe the end of Batman because he thinks that Riddler figured it out. And then he goes there and Riddler keeps talking about Bruce Wayne. And then there's like a switch in the conversation where, no, Riddler's plan didn't really matter about Bruce Wayne being Batman. It was more he was mad at Bruce Wayne for being the orphan that got it all. He doesn't actually know that Bruce Wayne is Batman. And watching Robert Pattinson's eyes kind of when he goes, he doesn't know. Like, oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, my God. The, Ooh, way that scared scene, me, <laughs> the way that scene keeps going is interesting because maybe, I don't know, maybe Riddler will find that out in the future. So they could keep playing with that element, too. All right. So to kind of start wrapping up here and get into the very end, one thing that I also really liked about this was that Batman more so than I think we see often, does have a very established arc in this. It's not like one of those things where you look at both the Keaton movies or the Nolan trilogy and like you see where he starts in one movie and then look where he is two movies later. This one very clearly is like he is all about vengeance. He is all consumed by it. He doesn't want to be Bruce Wayne. He doesn't care about the money. He just wants to be Batman because he thinks somehow that's the only way to make a difference. But I like that by the end, he realizes, I think, like you said, after talking to Riddler, who's somebody that took his ideals the wrong way and became a serial killer. I think he knows that I can perhaps be something more. I can be hope. I can do good things. I can inspire people. And just watching the scene where like people are dying in the arena and he like jumps out, takes off his awesome bat symbol that's like a batarang also, which was cool, and like sacrifice himself. He survives, but then sees people trapped and he saves them. And at first they don't trust him, but then he's like pushes through and the kid that he had a connection with before kind of comes out and then everybody else trusts him and just watching Batman in the daylight is always cool watching him like carry somebody over the shot with the flare was awesome too mm-hmm. that was awesome that was really cool watching him put like an injured person on a stretcher and then watching her like actually like not want to leave his arms like grab him and then he actually kind of consoles her and nods like it's okay it's really cool like I think we actually saw a really cool arc for Batman that it would have been nice to get a final scene to kind of hit that home for Bruce Wayne that maybe he's going to use his resources for better but the very least Batman is going to continue to stop crime and try and save Gotham but it's like he's going to stop crime but then 
when it comes like the citizens of Gotham, he's going to maybe try and be something more, something better, inspire that hope, which I really liked. Yeah, as we're as we're talking too, I'm wondering if if maybe Batman and Bruce aren't going to be as separated as they've kind of been in the past, where like Bruce operates in the day and Batman operates in the night. This one might be a bit more connected because mm. we we've seen we see Batman use Bruce as a way to get into places, or like yeah. he'll he'll come in like disheveled into the iceberg lounge that and then awesome. you know he'll yeah. cut the lights and then he'll, he'll turn into batman so so maybe maybe these two things are going to be a bit more connected and maybe an arc for batman is an arc for bruce wayne where batman mm-hmm. realizes i need to inspire hope so he's going to start doing more stuff in the daylight as bruce wayne but maybe maybe this one won't be as detached as what we've seen in the past yeah i love that element of it that he was able to, to just pick one or the other whichever one was more convenient to the situation to get the information that's like, a great way to put it i love that he uses bruce as a tool mm-hmm. almost yeah a tool yeah all right guys so i mean we're going to talk about the final scene in a second here but before we get to that just any final thoughts or last things to bring up let's talk real quick about the final action sequence in the stadium uh, whenever riddler's followers are coming in and breaking glass and all that jazz and batman swoops in and and is rolling around and punching everybody in the face what'd you guys think about that so for me for me the action was sweet watching him drop through the rafters mm. with his bat bombs was awesome that's a great shot um the way they're mm. all on carabiners and just like dangling from the roof i thought was really cool but just the overall of like why riddler's followers are here that was just confusing for me but but the action was sweet yeah i guess was it the thing of like they were like bella real is trying to do what like thomas wayne tried to do in the past but maybe at this point riddler is so far gone that he doesn't believe it he just thinks it's all lies whenever they talk about trying to make gotham better or like you know save the orphans or whatever it may be i guess he just doesn't believe it anymore and he's somehow convinced his followers that they shouldn't believe it either so just i guess take her out now because what's the point maybe that was kind of it Regardless of what it was, I did actually really like the whole, <laughs> it was actually kind of funny, a little bit of a moment of levity whenever Riddler is like the social media influencer, like, hey guys, what's up? Great call on those detonators, by the way. <laughs> and it was just cool that his followers wore the exact same thing. So it was kind of like, it's like a cult of Riddler. It's like, even though he was in prison at the time, it's like, ooh, which one's the real one? And then, like you said, the action was awesome. Watching him grapple gun two guys and then just immediately backflip off the rafter and then oh, do like yeah. a full 360 swing around the whole thing to pull them down was awesome and then that's whenever he like lets go completely rolls and it's like kicking people down and like yeah i mean that it, it was awesome it was really good having catwoman involved in that scene was sweet too i, I like that we got to see them actually fight together yeah i love that catwoman kind of dropped in to actually save him for once that was really cool and really fun and i loved her journey throughout this movie and i liked how you know, Batman reassured her when she was going to kill her dad. She was like, you've already paid enough. Don't pay for this too, basically. Um, which I thought interestingly tied into their final scene together after, you know, the stadium where they kind of meet up and she's clearly leaving Gotham because despite her plight and wanting to save people, she feels like after seeing what the Riddler's done and like some of these people in power like Penguin and whoever have done, that while she loves these people and wants to help that Gotham at this point is beyond saving and the kind of their just fundamental, I guess, difference in that belief where he still feels like it's possible, which ties into his whole like trying to believe more in hope now. So what do you guys think of kind of the culmination of their partnership and at sometimes romance and yeah, and then they kind of just part ways. I liked it. I mean, I think we mentioned earlier, she's not quite like the other Catwomans where they're have a little bit more of a villainous, selfish side to him. I think she all, she had good intentions for everything that she was doing, even though they were, you know, even though while she was doing them, she was kind of reckless at times. But and I liked that she had an understanding of Batman, and um, yeah, I liked their romance. That was cool. And but then splitting ways, that was also I love. I love when their two motor, the two motorcycles are going down and they just split off. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it works for me too. I think it really fit this uh, this Catwoman character. Um, you know, she did what she could to help Batman, but at the same time, she needs to get out of Gotham for herself. So I, I thought that was really cool. And I like that she asks Batman to come with her. And I like that there was like a moment where she kind of, you know, to the classic joke where it's like, what, you're going to ask me to stay? And on his face, he clearly wants to say yes. And she knows that. And you kind of get, maybe she would have said yes, but he's not going to ask. So clearly we're going to see them have to come together at some point in the future. I'm excited about it. And I like they left on a sweet note where he tells her to kind of, you know, take care of herself. And yeah, I don't know. It worked for me. I also really liked where we left Batman when the credits rolled because everything didn't get wrapped up in a pretty neat little bow. We just, we left him and he still has to go back into the city. It's still flooded. There's still destruction. 
He knows that people are going to be t- seeing an opportunity to, to gain power. So he has a lot of work left to do and it's not done. I like that we kind of just like left him. We just left him in Gotham and, it's, and he still has so much to do to, to finish his mission of cleaning the city up. That's something I love the Nolan movies, but it didn't kind of always feel like Batman Begins happened and then almost immediately Dark Knight happens. And then at the end of that, he gets injured and he's not Batman for eight years. And then that happens and it's done. It was almost like his Batman was just like a precision airstrike. He just fixed yeah, Gotham and yeah. very easily, kind of. Uh, obviously, he had to sacrifice, but it wasn't that hard in the grand scheme of things. Clearly, when the next movie starts, like he's going to have been out every night. So I think we're going to get a lot more interesting stories. I hope too, with with the city being flooded and everything, I I hope we get kind of everyday Batman, not everything's a giant conspiracy. We talked about it with Spider-Man. With with Andrew Garfield specifically, we really loved getting that everyday Spidey stuff where he has a cold, but he's still out as Spider-Man. I hope we can get some of that too from the future Pattinson movies. All right. I mean, I guess, you know, here we are at the very end. We talked about the final shot, which I also loved, but I just didn't think this would happen. I didn't think there's going to be a Joker teaser. I didn't really expect like another villain tease, to be honest. But yeah, Riddler's in prison. He sees that his plan has completely gone wrong. I guess he, you know, the flooding worked, but I think he gets the idea that Batman is going to turn it on its head. So he kind of is like, I lost this one. And then he, uh, you know, sits down and the, his next door neighbor in Arkham starts chatting him up. And also, look, it's cheesy. I loved that Joker is the one that said, Riddle me this. And, and watching Riddler get the riddle right and how excited he is is cool but also really creepy and then the close-up of joker's face you can't really see it but clearly he has like the like kind of curly hair and like shaved on the sides and i don't know his face looked ripped open to me so i not only are they setting up joker but i think they're setting up specifically like a somehow a riddler and joker team up maybe that's not the next movie maybe they give us another villain in the next one and then that villain goes to arkham and then the third movie is like joker breaks out with them in tow i don't know but what do you guys think i mean yeah, it's the Joker. So, I mean, what do you want to talk about here with this big scene? I'm really curious if this is a, a fully formed Joker that Batman's already put away and they have a history. Is it a criminal who was going to become Joker but hasn't become that full Joker that we know yet? I kind of hope since this Batman is younger that this Joker is a little older than him. So I, I just have a lot of like things I'm hoping to get from this character. And, and more so, I want to know where he is kind of in his current uh, timeline of the Joker. It, f- it feels like this guy, since he since we didn't quite see the Joker makeup on him, that this might be just a, a crazy dude they locked up, but that has some crazy schemes in mind. Yeah. So he's going to probably become Joker as he goes on. Yeah, because I couldn't tell if he had like like white skin or green hair, but I definitely could tell that there was something up with his mouth. Like it, it, like it looked really high up on his head, almost like it was completely like just ripped open at the seam somehow. I'm kind of with you. And Austin, it kind of gave me telltale vibes. Maybe he's just, like an, an inmate, maybe he's just somebody at a, a mental hospital that isn't wanting to, you know, be this villainous person, but he has these tendencies that would need to make him institutionalized. But he sees somebody like the Riddler, and maybe for better or worse, maybe he's trying to manipulate him. Maybe in a weird way, he is trying to be friends with him. But regardless of what it is, it's going to lead somewhere bad where he will eventually become, I think, the Joker that we kind of expect to see. So I think we will get a journey from him, which I'm hoping for. Kind of hope it's movie three. I kind of do too. Because I feel like once you introduce him, it becomes more Joker centric. So I'd like to another like full on Robert Pattinson Batman story first, I think. All right, guys. Well, there you go. I think that was one of my more favorite conversations we've had about a new movie. It's been a while. So that was great. Super fun. And we're in person. Yeah, we didn't even mention that. Yeah, Yeah. this is our first podcast that we're recording in person. We started this way back in, what, May or June of 2020. And this is the first time that flew out to Arkansas. We're all together. And yeah, it's super fun. We're on site for the Batman. Wow. The Batman. Keith almost got his mic taken away in TSA. He said, (laughs) said, hey, I'm a famous podcaster. And they gave it back to him. (laughs) They were like, holy shit, sorry. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the Batman. (laughs) Um. Yeah, so fun stuff. But before we kind of fully close out, I don't want to do like our full classic ranking list. I don't think there's much of a point to that. I just want to know the Batman kind of in relation to the other stuff that we talked about last week. Where do you think this movie specifically would rank for you? For me, I'm going to put it ahead of of all the 90s movies. Um, Dark Knight's still going to be high up there for me. But then I think this is going to be a second. It's going to be a a second one for me. It's going to be equal for me with Batman Begins, I think. In terms of, of actors... I think as a fully formed Batman Bruce Wayne, Christian Bale is still my favorite. Um, as just a solely Batman character, I think Pattinson's my number one right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely can't decide right now if Pattinson's better than Bale or the same as Bale. But as far as movies goes, I'm kind of with you, Austin. I think I'm, Dark Knight will still be my number one. And then I think Batman Begins and this, the Batman, are kind of equal in my mind right now. Yeah, mine's not going to be too different. Um, I would put Dark Knight number one, Batman Begins number two, and this number three as of right now. Obviously, need to see it again. I think a movie like this will reward repeat viewing. So I could see it jumping in the future, but where things stand right now, I think Batman Begins is just a shorter, more to the point movie. And it had some great themes in there. I think this one had too. So I would go with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to performers, I think I'm with Austin. I think when it comes to just looking at the Batman side of things, this is the best for me. I thought Pattinson was great. But because there wasn't much of the balance between Bruce Wayne and Batman, although that was the purpose of the story, I can give it points for that. But I still think I prefer, as of right now, Bale's Bruce Wayne. But I really think with what they're setting up, I think there's potential in the sequel for this to be the best interpretation that we've seen to date. This might be the most excited for a sequel I've ever been. I can't wait to yeah. see what they do with the already an established world and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just, just to mention Batflick, he'll always be a, oh, what could have been for me. I'm so curious what we yeah. could have gotten from that solo movie. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's officially start closing out the show, which means it is time. For the Arnie Podcast Awards, yes, the Oscars are coming, I get it, but we don't care. And why should you? (laughs) Because the Arnie Podcast Award is still, in my opinion, and I'm not biased, the most prestigious award anybody can earn. So my friends, let's talk about it. What do you want to specifically call out and give an award to for the Batman? I'm glad we're here because I am seething over here at the end of this table. Matt mentioned that the Riddler had an influencer arc in this show. And I am pissed because my award is the best influencer to the Riddler. I'm so mad Matt brought it up before me. The Riddler is the best influencer. I want this guy to be selling me like green juice on Instagram. Hey guys, it's me, Riddy. I'm, I'm, I'm Riddy. pumped. I, 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 I want him to be the biggest influencer on the planet. He's on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, of course he is. In Arkham, you still get TikTok access, actually. All the teenagers are like, you guys watched Riddler on TikTok yet? <laughs> he murdered someone last night. <laughs> I know, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bringing back a familiar award, probably for the third or fourth time, and that is the Tobey Maguire Back Pain Award. Fuck, and that goes... Was oh, was it really? And that goes to Mr. Bruce Wayne, Robert Pattinson, whenever he is flying with his wingsuit and then pulls his parachute Pursue gets caught in the bridge and he hits, I don't know how many cars on his way down. That flying scene was terrible. That looked awful. Yeah, I didn't like really weird. <laughs> I, was so, I was so pumped for it, though. I just don't get what he was planning. Like, he literally, like, we see hit through his POV, look at this bus. It's like, oh, he's going to land on the bus. But the bus is going under a bridge. And then he aims for the gap and then pulls the chute. And whenever he did that, I was like, it's... You're going to get hit. And then he immediately why did just he gets so, wrecked. Why did he wait so long to pull the shoe? I don't know. I was, I was like, this man is dead. <laughs> His quest for vengeance is over. All right, guys. I have one that I'm pretty passionate about. Look, Batman and these types of movies, they're all about fighting crime and fighting injustice. But while we saw the Riddler be a serial killer, we saw Carmine Falcone be a lead mob boss and also a secret murderer. We saw the Penguin in a car chase, like overturn a bunch of like 18 wheelers. I don't know how many people died in that fire. There's one person that I think out of all of these people actually committed the worst crime. It's Alfred Pennyworth for opening somebody else's mail. And Ooh, my opinion is, is illegal. My opinion is he should have died for that. Batman, <laughs> Batman may have to arrest him. He broke, he broke the law. <laughs> he, just beats, he goes to the hospital and starts beating the shit out of him. <laughs> like, oh, what have you done? <laughs> yeah, I thought that scene was so funny. Just Alfred's face like, ooh, a letter to Bruce Wayne. I'll just open it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I also have to give a, a little bonus award here. And it's uh, my favorite nickname. And unfortunately, I've been spending time this morning in Snyderverse Twitter. And they're calling Matt Reeves Monkey Man. <laughs> <laughs> He's directed a couple movies with monkeys in it, so I guess he's Monkey Man now. <laughs> so I guess Zack Snyder, what would he be? Just oiled up ab man? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, you guys, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that to continue to grow the show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for another episode.
And if you want to hear our thoughts on any of our past live action Batman, be sure to go check out our Batman at the box office episode from last week. We talked about Keaton. We talked about Bale. We talked about Batfleck. We talked about Val Kilmer. We talked about Clooney. And we've had a lot of TV on this podcast lately. So if you want to hear our thoughts on Hawkeye, Ozark Season 4 Part 1, The Book of Boba Fett, and Peacemaker, all those episodes are on your podcast feed right now. So just be sure to scroll back up and check those out. Please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us at thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of the Batman? Who is the best Batman? Are you excited for more Robert Pattinson's Batman? Anything you say we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's a lot of Batmans right there. That is a lot of Batmans, Keith, but I, for one, am very happy about it. So with that, everybody, hope you enjoyed the Batman as well. If you didn't, though, let us know why, and we'll see you next time. Pattinson, he's here. Batman.